0: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Vineyard. My name is Amos. I'm one of the lead pastors here. And the Convoy of Hope message you just saw is for our Four Corners offering this month. So if you come to the Vineyard, you know that every week we encourage you to bring a dollar and drop them off in those boxes on your way out. And that is to remember the poor, the orphan, the foreigner, and the widow. And Convoy of Hope is an international organization that we like regularly partner with, and so this month as we give into those boxes, we'll be sending them funds to help respond to the COVID pandemic that is right now like really severe in India. And I know, uh, well, I mean we have some people who are from India in our family, or in our church family, and they're just, it's, it's really bad over there. So we want to help them out as much as we can. Uh, The other thing before we get started here is two Sundays ago, we had a giveaway Sunday, which means everything we collected in person, everything that came in online, and then 25% of anybody's recurring gift was all being given away to our local partners, which are in Pottstown, the Warming Center, in Phoenixville, the Good Samaritan Shelter, and the Bridge of Hope uh, Network, which is you know, covering Chester County. And I'm excited to report that we gave away $9,313 between the three organizations. So, I mean, thank you guys. You are, you're generous. And it is a way to show the world that we like love like Jesus does when we are generous, because God is generous. And uh, so with that, let me just open in prayer for us. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come We ask that you would meet us today as we bring in uh, ourselves in all of the extremes of our like being and of our emotions whether it's a place of joy or a place of pain that we come today we ask that you would meet us and that you would heal us and that you would strengthen us and that you would fill us with joy and with peace and with gratitude So, Jesus, we love you, and we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would be our teacher today. Amen. So, I was at the chiropractor this week, and I was just having some, like, small talk conversation with the receptionist, and I I bring up the book of Leviticus. That wasn't wasn't the joke. (laughs) What's so funny? Uh, I was talking about Leviticus to the receptionist. Oh, it was Leslie, by the way, if you know her. She goes to our church. Anyway, Um, she says, oh, I used to listen to the book of Leviticus on audio tape uh, before I went to bed uh, many years ago, because it would help put me to sleep. Uh, So here we are in part three of our study of Leviticus. I think after today, we'll be about halfway done. And last week, we got through chapter one, verse one. Today we're gonna get all the way through chapter seven. So if you have your Bibles, I'm like I'm on a mission. I don't know if you noticed. I'm on a mission to get you to bring your paper Bibles, and I I have four Bibles like this. These are NLT Bibles. Oh, now only three on those back little rampy rampy cart things uh, where the giving. Oh, no no more Bibles over there. Two over there. Um, I'll put page numbers up that reference these Bibles, but if you have any other Bible, it'll be close. And you know I like these better than phones because, man, there's something about being human and touching, like, physical pages because we are created to be embodied, not just cyber. And I'm not judging you if you're opening up your phone right now. Just just don't, don't go to Wikipedia, okay? Unless you're looking up Leviticus, then I suppose that'd be all right. But anyway... Uh, Leviticus chapter 1 verse 1. As you turn there, remember from last week that Leviticus is not simply uh, a book that like, came down from heaven and the people of God were asked to follow. It was part of a story. Of course, it's part of the big story of the Bible that has a climax with Jesus, which we will, of course, talk about today. But it's part of the smaller story of God rescuing his people from slavery. So you have a group of people who all they knew were, was slavery. They were under the reign of Pharaoh. They lived the, like, the life that Pharaoh had for them, which was like they were treated as means to an end. They were property. They were owned. They didn't have value in and of themselves. And, and now they're out of Egypt in the wilderness living free, but God is giving them not a set of rules that's a new kind of slavery, but a set of boundaries and guidelines and a way to order their worship so that they stay free. And what you find in this book that is essentially a priestly manual, you find not just how to relate to God, not just how to show up to temple or show up to church, but how to relate to each other, how to relate to the environment, Uh, like the earth, like the planet that we live on, how to relate to people who are not part of your tribe. So like that command to care for the orphan, the widow, the foreigner, and the poor comes to us from this book in Leviticus. And we're reminded of that in chapter 1, verse 1, where it says the Lord called to Moses from the tabernacle and said to him, Give the following instructions to the people of Israel. We're already farther than we were last week. When you present an animal as an offering, if you have your own Bible, just underline that. I know you maybe don't have pens. We'll put pens back in the chairs one of these days. Present an animal as an offering to the Lord. You may take it from your herd of cattle or your flock of sheep and goats. If the animal you present as a burnt offering is from the herd, it must be a male with no defects. Bring it to the entrance of the tabernacle. Now, the rest of chapter one goes into some well, very unique details about how this offering goes, right down to how to where to put the kidneys and where to put the fat and where to put the entrails. And I'm not going to read it because uh, I mean it's gross. But this is the first of five offerings, five types of sacrifices that show up in the first seven chapters of Leviticus. So if you have your Bibles, you'll see that in chapter two, it's all about the grain offering. In chapter three, it's all about the peace offering, sometimes called the fellowship offering, in Hebrew the shalomim. Chapter four is about the sin offering. Chapter six moves on to the guilt offering actually the guilt offering starts in the middle of chapter five chapter six continues with the guilt offering and then there's like an appendix it goes chapter six and seven go back to the previous offerings and just add a little more nuance and detail and you might be thinking well that's strange why didn't they just follow a logical order well one of the things to remember is that the book of leviticus was part of an oral tradition And so just like we have songs that go verse one, verse two, chorus, bridge, and there's a lot of repetition. You'll see as you read through the book of bit, like painfully detailed repetition. Didn't you just say this? But it's because in the oral tradition to help commit these passages to memory, there is a lot of repetition. And then you would get through a list and then you would go back to the beginning and go through it with some more detail. It helped pass on uh, the, the teaching which again for the people of Israel was like at the very center of their theology and at the very center of their practice. Jesus of course comes for the, for people who follow him and he replaces the Torah or the, the word, uh, the law as the center of our faith and as the center point of our theology. But if you look at these five, you can basically group them into the first group of three, right? The, the, burnt offering, the grain offering, and the peace offering, and the second two, right, the guilt offering and the sin offering. You might be thinking, what's the difference between sin and guilt? Well, we'll get there. But one of the things that is important to understand if you want to like take from the details of Leviticus and get to the principles and apply them to today is that the first three are actually voluntary. The first three are not prescribed for everyone to do the first three are when you feel something in your heart it's a way to express what's what's inside and some of these details come from later on in the book but for instance the burnt offering is actually about gratitude and you find the ideas of joy and peace coming through in the grain and in the fellowship offering in fact uh, that word shalomim, remember that for fellowship or peace. Sounds a lot like the word Shalamin, Shalom, shalom, Shalom. Some of you know that the word in Hebrew for peace is Shalom. And Shalom, peace is not just freedom from war. It's like the idea of harmony and wholeness and being full and deeply connected to other people and to God. So the, the first three are voluntary and ways to express these feelings of gratitude, joy, peace, and love. Why why might these three be voluntary? Well, remember, these people are being led out of slavery where they didn't get to decide what they wanted to do when they wanted to do it. And so when Leviticus leads into these are free offerings that you can make out of your free will it's actually it's purposeful because Leviticus doesn't start with judgment or law or regulation it starts with here are some ways here are some rituals here are some ways to express what's going on inside of your heart and and bring them out into the open and present those feelings of joy peace and love to your creator. We have things sort of like this in our world. You think of Thanksgiving, you think of, well, basically Thanksgiving, (laughs) maybe Christmas. There's a little bit of gratitude, like in the sense that you say thank you for the gifts that you buy and receive. But but the idea that building in these rituals and building in these habits are not just ways to express, but ways to like. Uh reciprocally like build in to your heart peace and love and joy and so it's not just that when you do them you feel these things but when you do them you you reinforce the posture of your heart and so if you really want to be free you want to have more peace and love and joy in your life am I right about that so to think about how to build rhythms where you are reminded of God's goodness and to express peace and love and joy well that might be worth figuring out how to do in your day-to-day maybe it's by praying for a meal or before a meal I mean you can pray for your food but the idea is that you pray to God and Thanksgiving for your food right there's rhythms that you can build we've 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 talked about that in Leviticus because of the the ritual and rhythm sometimes feel like well I don't want that to be legalistic I don't want to be told what to do that sounds like law that sounds like a heavy weight well that's not the original intent of God's like we call it law in Leviticus it's the idea to like actually build wholeness and build shalom in your life now why might the second set the last two be required if the first three are voluntary why might sin and guilt offerings be required well, I have a theory, and I have a theory because I know a little something about humans. What do you think? Well, we all do it, first of all. That's the first part. And the second, of our, uh, second part is we don't like to admit it, do we? Like if I do something wrong, I usually have a justification and a rationale to get myself off the hook. And so instead of going and making it right with the person, I'll just be like, well, it was no big deal anyway. In Leviticus, it's, it, the stakes are high, like because Leviticus is saying like your relationship with God is dependent on you owning up to the wrong that you've done to other people and to me, says God, and and you have to do this. Like there's no wiggle room. When If you realize, if you even have this fleeting thought of I screwed up or if somebody brings up to the surface, like I I did wrong to you, Leviticus drives you toward reconciliation, drives you toward making it right. Now again, things things get a little more free, but also more motivated by the Spirit of God that now lives inside of us in the New Testament, right? So just because you wrong somebody doesn't mean that your relationship with God has been severed. But it is then the Holy Spirit that, comes into you and convicts you and drives you and gives you the strength and maybe even the courage to do what God intended for relationships, to reconcile and make things right, instead of the fear of having your relationship with God severed. You tracking with me? This is like kind of, this is teaching stuff. Okay, so let's go back to Leviticus 1, verse 1. The first three, voluntary, love, peace, joy. The second two, guilt and sin, required. Required. The Lord called to Moses from the tabernacle and said to him, Give the following instructions to the people of Israel. When you present an animal as an offering to the Lord, you may take it from the herd of cattle or your flock of sheep and goats. That word for offering in the Hebrew is korban. The word korban has the idea behind it of coming near to someone. Why is that significant, do you think? Because at the very book of very front of the book of the Leviticus, we find that the whole point is that we have a God who wants to come near to us. We have a God who wants to be with us. We bring an offering, but the idea is not like many people in the ancient world thought, that God is up there and he's angry and, and he won't send rain unless we feed him unless we give him food unless we appease him unless we stay on god's good side no the whole book of leviticus is is a release from that kind of anxiety it's god saying i want to draw near to you and you don't have to worry about your status and and those ancient religions there was this kind of vicious cycle because what happens if you give a sacrifice and it doesn't rain well maybe i didn't give enough and so you then you give more And then it still doesn't rain, and then you, you give more. And eventually, well, what's the most valuable thing you can think of? It's your firstborn son. And so what you find in the ancient world, in these pagan religions, is you have people sacrificing their firstborn son in order to appease the little g gods. And what you find in the Bible over and over again is God says, do not do that that is not what I want that is not the kind of God that I am you'll find it in the Torah in the first five books of the Bible like when when the Torah mentions child sacrifice it is one of the harshest criticisms to his people do not do this I am not that kind of God and so when you bring your korban. The idea is when you when you sacrifice, you're actually coming to meet a God that desires relationship with you. And we'll just we'll kind of we'll trek through these chapters. There's a couple of things that I want to take away before wrapping up. But one of the things you'll find in chapter one is at the beginning, it mentioned a herd and a flock. Right. So a herd of cattle and a flock of sheep or goats if you jump down to say though verse 14 you find that you can also present a bird and so from the very beginning you have the idea of well some of you to draw near to god can afford a bull but the bull on this list is the most valuable and the most expensive not everybody has bulls if you if you want to draw near to god and you don't have a bull though you can bring a goat or a sheep And even if you don't have a goat and a sheep, you can find a bird. And so there's no status level where, you know, especially back then, even today to some degree, you know, your worth sometimes gets measured by how much money you make or how big your house is or how nice your car is, even more so back then, because the idea of wealth was connected to the idea of like your good standing with the gods. Here God is saying, you know what? There's no tier. Everybody has an even playing field. You're rich, you're poor, you think you might be blessed because you know, you're know, you in good standing with me. Well, that doesn't mean that you get any closer to me than the person who has less money. Everybody can have access to my presence. If we jump ahead to the grain offering, which is uh, like... Again, it's about thanksgiving and joy, the idea that I've harvested what I've got here. It says in verse 1 of chapter 2, when you present the grain as an offering to the Lord, the offering must consist of choice flour. You are to pour olive oil on it, sprinkle it with frankincense, and bring it to Aaron's sons and to the priests. One of the interesting things there that they add is that idea of frankincense. And if you look at what they mean by, I think in the NLT it says choice flour, the idea of the best flour is actually the flour that gets ground and reground whereas most flour that you would use way back then was not the kind of flour you think of today like powdery stuff it was more rough but the idea of grinding down the flour is first of all a very physical idea it's you you break a sweat doing it. it it costs you something not just financially but like you've given some effort toward this meal that now you're saying thank you god for being so generous and good to me But by adding frankincense, I think it reinforces the point where the goodness of what you're presenting, the beauty of the fruit of what you bring, actually gets heightened when it's put under pressure or when it's ground. To make frankincense smell, it goes through essentially a suffering process. And so you have the people of Israel leaving Egypt, living in the wilderness under extreme pressure and god is in these symbols saying and that's actually bringing something out of you the pain the suffering is bringing something out of you that helps the beauty that i infused you with come out and this this idea becomes very important to the early christians the early followers of jesus who are being put under pressure to reject their faith who are put under pressure to Uh, like persecution like they're facing death or fines or rejection like and and the idea that actually something that God wants to draw out of you as a person only comes out when there's been some suffering and pain that's not the same thing as saying God is doing this to you that's not the same thing as well just hang on God you know your pain isn't significant just look toward the future like i'm not trying to diminish the pain that you might be in but it it shows the reality that that sometimes our best fruit come out of our like deepest pains like that's just i think that's human i think that like do you relate to that as a human it doesn't always feel that way but it's it's something that like when you inject grace and when you inject jesus into it like that that's how how it works out okay let's keep going let's jump to we'll just make one one comment about the Shalim. Um, this was a meal essentially not just an offering this was a meal that was shared with the priests and so when you think sacrifices you think oh you just burn up everything that you put on the altar that's not actually how most of the sacrifices worked most of the sacrifices were partly burned and then partly eaten so it wasn't the whole cow that got put on the altar I mean maybe it was all put on the altar but part of it was cooked and then you shared in the meal now we jump to the sin offering and the guilt offering chapter 4 verse 1 then the Lord said to Moses give the following instructions to the people of Israel this is how you are to deal with those who sin unintentionally by doing anything that violates one of the Lord's commands whoa did you catch that Did you hear that sin unintentionally part? That's a little freaky. The idea that when you do wrong, when you make a mess of things, the responsibility to repent and to reconcile and to make things right doesn't only apply if you meant harm or if you did it volitionally or even you might not even be aware of the mess you made. The idea here is that there's still a reason, still a command to make it right. Well, I didn't mean it. Well, that doesn't mean that you didn't miss the mark, that you don't have responsibility in the matter. And this, uh, this word for sin here, hittat, hitat, hey-tee, hey there it is. Hitat is related word. Uh, the metaphor behind sin is like the idea of an archer pulling back the bow, letting the arrow go, and you've just, you kind of missed the bullseye by a bit. And so the metaphor is like, you just, you missed it. You maybe were aimed in the right direction. You just, what God intended, the way that relationships should work, the way that marriages should work, the way that father-daughter relationships should work, mother-son relationships should work. Like there's just, there's a design. And uh, you messed up. But that's not the end of the story. There's there's ways here to Especially in the idea of the sin offering to be purified, to, be, uh, to make things right. As you keep reading, though, another like, whoa, hi yeah, in verse 13 of chapter 4, where it says, If the Israelite community sins by violating one of the Lord's commands, but the people don't realize it, they are still guilty. Not just when an Israelite sins. If the Israelite community, the the group, sins, and they don't realize that they are still guilty, when they become aware of their sin, the people must bring a young bull as an offering for their sins and present it before the tabernacle. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Okay, like, we, we live in an amazing country, but we got problems too. What if all the politicians in Washington in a, like, routine predictable basis, came together and said, you know what? We have screwed it up. (laughs) Was that a joke? (laughs) Weekly prep. We have screwed it up. We didn't realize it, but we made a mess of things. Like that, that, you can't even imagine. Like would they put that on CNN or Fox News? I'm not sure. But it would, I mean, it would just never happen. The idea of like, we... We all have responsibility. We didn't even know that we were making a mess of things. We thought this was a good law. It turned out to make a mess. We we screwed up and there's something sacrificial and it's gonna cost us something. We're going to bring something of value and we're going to offer the sacrifice. We're gonna make a collective sacrifice before God to say we take ownership. Of the mess we've made but that doesn't happen because it's always your fault no it's your fault no it's your fault no it's your fault what if it's our fault what would it look like even as a church to sing a song like sometimes we do lord have mercy on us we have made a mess maybe the church what would it look like in your prayer life to say god I'm pretty upset with the church right now or my church or that church, but we repent. (laughs) To not say, well, it's their fault. It's the Republicans' fault, it's the Democrats' fault. It's mom's fault, it's dad's fault. Like maybe I am also off here. Maybe I am part of the problem. I mean, that is radical. (laughs) Why is this commanded and not an option? because nobody wants to do that nobody wants to take responsibility for their part of the problem i mean you think this is an old book that doesn't have any relevance for today like what if we did this what if we did this in our marriages what if we did this in our families you know what yes we screwed up you'll uh you'll notice this watch the press conferences nba playoffs right now right when we win we win (laughs) but if the sixers lose the next series they lost we won they lost here leviticus is saying no like you celebrate together and you take the fall together you take the blame together okay got it this is like i mean i think this is pretty relevant stuff i mean Maybe the sacrificing of bulls and the arranging of kidneys doesn't apply, but the principles, (laughs) if you you push this up into the principles and bring it back into real life, like this is, you could work on this. Not because, again, you're earning God's favor, but because God has a design for how you live and how you get along in community. Okay, what else might be interesting? The guilt offering, let's jump up all the way to chapter 6. This is, the guilt offerings are a little different because the guilt offering, the word, the metaphor is that there's been a debt, and so now you're going to repay that debt, whether it be to another person or to God. So, then the Lord said to Moses, suppose one of you sins against your associate and is unfaithful to the Lord. Suppose you cheat in a deal involving a security deposit, or steal, or commit fraud, or you find lost property and lie about it, or you lie while swearing to tell the truth, or you commit any other such sin. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. If you have sinned in any of these ways, you are guilty. You must give back whatever you stole, or the money you took by extortion, or the security deposit, or the lost property you found, or anything obtained by swearing falsely. You must make restitution by paying the full price plus an additional twenty percent to the person you have harmed. I think. I mean, this is this is an interesting idea. Again, this would uh, this would revolutionaries Judge Judy show. F- For one, like when you realize uh, I'm in the wrong here and I'm going to pay you back and not just what I took, but like another 20% kind of to make up for the trouble. Uh, And moreover, like this is not just something between you and me, but this is something between uh, like me and God, like I've, I've actually broken something that he created. Like if he's the creator and we're the creation, then, then when we mess up his, his beloved creation, his son, like, do wrong to sons and daughters of his. Like, we've also kind of messed up our relationship with God. I mean, if you have kids, you understand this, right? Like, if somebody mistreats your kids, like, you feel that. But one of the, one of the interesting things as we go through this passage is it also brings up the idea of if you see someone doing something and say they're in the right and then that goes to court, and you don't speak up that's another example of where you've like really missed the mark like you have like evidence to say no this person is in the right but you you don't you don't bring that up and I, I, not a lot of us get pulled into court very often but i think about how differently or how frequently the judicial system comes into play between you and another person, between me and another person, when it comes to judgment and gossip and speaking badly about people behind their backs, what if when we hear gossip, we thought about the book of Leviticus and said, actually, you know what's being stolen here is somebody's honor. And you know what's being, uh, if you think of it like a, like graffiti or uh, when you put graffiti on a wall what is that called again it's uh, vandalism thank you what if what if when you hear gossip it's like vandalism against somebody's character and what if you don't speak up can you walk away from that conversation saying i missed the mark and next time i'm going to try to hit the target and not only defend that person's honor and character but Or if if I'm the one, for instance, if I'm the one who, like, catches myself gossiping, I'm not just going to, like, stop doing it, but I'm going to go that extra 20% and do what I can to rebuild it. And if I find out, like, or if I realize, like, I was just, like, a jerk and I said some things that were unkind about Eddie, like, maybe I... Maybe I apologize to Eddie. Whoa, that would be scary, wouldn't it? But maybe I also go around and say, you know, like, Eddie's actually a pretty cool guy. I like Eddie. Um, I was wrong. Like, what what would not just breaking even when you gossip look like, but going that extra 20%? Could it be that that is the kind of life that God wants us to live? Even though... You know, in Jesus, we don't have to do the sacrifices. Like, would that cost you something? Would that feel like sacrifice? Would that take courage? Is that the kind of person you want to be? Like, I don't want to be the kind of person that gossips. I want to be the kind of person that stands up for other people. I want to stop gossip in its tracks. Not by... You know hitting the person who's gossiping with a stick but just maybe by saying you know like i know eddie sorry eddie like i mean that doesn't seem like him but i if you got it if if you got an issue with eddie maybe talk to eddie uh, i mean i i really i think eddie's a great guy I, that's not my experience of eddie like i mean you might not like the beer that he brews but i don't you know uh, but, but i i like it <laughs> and, and, and And I don't know what beer has to do with you liking him or not. Anyway, sometimes I get myself off track. Okay. Burnt offering, grain offering, peace offering, sin offering, guilt offering. The first three are voluntary. The last two are required. And the priests would actually go down the line and perform all these offerings in order. And at the end, the priest would say, it is finished. So you can imagine the priest doing the burnt offering sacrifices and then uh, the grain offering sacrifices and then the fellowship offering sacrifices then the sin and the guilt. And then the priest stands up and says, it is finished. And if you know your Bible at all, you know that that's significant because Jesus, before he takes his final breath, cries out in a loud voice, it is finished. Do you think Leviticus might add some depth to what Jesus says on the cross before he breathes his final breath? It is finished not only have what i come to do not only is my life now being poured out but the whole system that you've had to try to keep your relationship with god secure the system of sacrificing animals it is finished i have fulfilled it i am now the sacrifice And so, whether it's thanksgiving or joy or peace, don't go to the altar. Come to me. If it's guilt, if it's shame, if it's sin, don't go to the altar. That's finished. Come to me. One final thing. And this will lead us into communion. And so, if you didn't grab one of those cups... Uh, now would be a good time. Whoops. Man, that felt almost sacrilegious. Sorry. <clears throat> I suddenly was like, where's my communion cup? Oh, there it is. One final thing. The, the metaphor behind the sacrifice, I think, is worth paying attention to. <clears throat> and I mentioned this before, because in other religions, at the time, there was a belief that the gods were hungry. Like you and me, they needed to be fed. And, and like humans, if gods are hungry, they are angry. Uh, and so you want to keep keep the gods fed. But that uh, that's not what's happening in the sacrificial system. If you have your Bibles, you can turn quickly to Psalm 50. If you don't want to go there, that's fine. I will just read it to you something significant though psalm 50 verse 9 but i do not need says the lord i do not need the bulls of your barns or the goats from your pens for all the animals of the forest are mine and i own the cattle on a thousand hills i know every bird on the mountain and all the animals uh, of the field are mine if i were hungry i wouldn't even tell you for all the world is mine and everything in it do i eat the meat of bulls do i drink the blood of goats so why do you sacrifice? Well, maybe the sacrifices were like effective in the cleansing of sin. Maybe, maybe like the animal dies in my place, and so I don't have to pay for this, and the animal pays for it. The problem is, now if you go to Hebrews 10, Hebrews is kind of a hard book to find because it's almost at the end, and it's uh, it's after all the other like the letters of Paul, but before James and first and second Peter Hebrews chapter 10 remember this is the same God inspiring the the writers to give insight into what was written before Hebrews chapter 10 verse 1 the old system under, under the law of Moses was only a anybody got it a shadow A dim preview of good things to come, not the good things themselves, the sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again. Jump down to verse 4. For it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. That is is why when Christ came into the world. Basically, I'm not going to read the rest of the chapter, but that is why Christ came into the world. Christ came into the world for your sin. The bulls and goats, they were no good. So why would God have people enact these rituals and sacrifices if he doesn't need them and if they don't work anyway? Well, maybe it's for the people. Maybe it's to help the people understand. But understand what? The grain offering, I think, gives us a little clue. But it makes sense if you Look at it across all the sacrifices. In the grain offering, you have this meal that is shared with you and the priests and symbolically, figuratively, on the other side of the altar sits God, the creator of the universe, the savior of his people who led them out of Egypt and into freedom. And that is where all this is headed The idea that the goal of life is to share a meal with the divine. Because when you share a meal with somebody, what's happening? You're expressing and sharing and deepening friendship. So when you sit down, whether it's, out of gratitude, thanksgiving, love, joy, or like, I really screwed up, I made a mess of things, I'm here to make it right. The idea that you're sitting down across the table from a loving God. And so that's where these come in. Because on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he gathers together his closest friends And what he says and what is later understood is essentially, you don't have to bring the sacrifice. I am the sacrifice. On the night that Jesus is betrayed, he washes Peter's feet. I don't need you to serve me, (laughs) Peter. I'm here to serve you. And so when he, on the night he was betrayed, takes the bread, he breaks it. And this is, this is rich with like sacrificial imagery, right? He breaks it and he says, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And I would just ask you to take a moment in silence and think about, just as the burnt offering would express, the things that you are thankful for, like three to five things before you take So God, we are thankful. Just as you give thanks for the bread, we give thanks to you. And so we take, we eat, we remember, and we believe. And we'll talk more about blood in two weeks because the Day of Atonement in the book of Leviticus is at the very center of the book, structurally speaking. But in Leviticus, the life of an animal or a person is in the blood. And so Jesus takes the cup and he says, This is my blood poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so before we take this cup, I just ask you to pray in your hearts like, for Jesus to come back, (laughs) to say, come Lord Jesus, right all the wrongs, bring peace. Wipe away not just the guilt, but the injustice, the division, Bring shalom. Bring shalom to our families and to our nation and to our churches. So take, drink, remember, and believe. The worship team is coming up one of the things i never noticed before is after jesus has his meal before he goes to gethsemane the garden where he prays his heart out you know what him and his disciples do i just i read this last night they sing a hymn and so i invite you to stand now and to use your voices to like sing to jesus knowing that like He's not just on the other side of the screen. I mean, like, I'm using the table metaphor, okay? But like, that Jesus is present here because he says to us, if you put your faith in me, I live in your heart. And so I invite the Spirit to come now again. Please stand. Come, Holy Spirit. We turn our hearts to you, we love you, we worship you, we, we pour out our praise, our joy, our peace, our gratitude, our guilt, our shame, our pain. So come and meet us, Holy Spirit. Amen.